Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Well, why is there a famine? Well, it could be a natural occurrence. It certainly could be. Or it could be a result of their sinfulness and their rebellion. Because does God do that? Of course he does. Has God done that within your life? I'm sure he has. If you're a normal person, a normal Christ follower, there are times where we go through seasons, maybe, of rebellion. And there might be a time of famine that follows along with that or comes, you know, comes right alongside of that time period, okay? The Word of God teaches us that our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He'll chastise us whenever we're in rebellion. In fact, if you've been a believer for any extended period of time, chances are you've experienced this in your own walk when you've drifted. In today's message, Pastor James reflects on the rebellious state of Israel in light of the famine they were experiencing. In his study, you'll learn that while it isn't always the consequence of our actions, hardships can indeed be the Lord reaching out to us. Now here's Pastor James in the Book of Ruth, Chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. is one of my, she's one of my heroes um, of the Bible. Boaz is one of my heroes. What I didn't realize is the more I was kind of, when I came back to it with a fresh set of eyes, of how like, how very apropos this book is for today. Let me just explain to you how this works. Uh, So Book of Ruth, just so you understand, Ruth and her name means companion or friendship. It could even also mean beauty, right? That's who we're talking about. That's the central figure, so to speak, of this book. The author is unknown, but more than likely, it's Samuel the prophet, okay? Which would mean that this book was written during the time of King David. However, time frame wise when did this take place? This story takes place during the time of Judges. And some people would even position it at around Judges chapter 9 or chapter 10, but probably Judges chapter 9. So if you don't know anything about the book of Judges, one of the books that I love to study through, it was a time of turmoil. Okay, so here's the theme of Judges. Everyone, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's repeated all throughout the book of Judges. That's how, that was the philosophy of the day. Just do whatever you feel like doing. Do whatever feels right to you. That's, and that's a horrible model. If you don't believe me, read the book of Judges, okay? They go through this sin cycle where they they go into rebellion, and then there's some kind of retribution. Uh, They reap what they sow, and then there's some repentance, and then there's restoration. That's how Judges, the whole thing, just it's a constant sin cycle, okay? Ruth, this story happens in the midst of the madness. More than likely... It is happening, this story takes place at around the time in one of their many seasons where they are facing retribution for their rebellion because there's a famine in the land. And God will use famine, he can cause a famine to take place to get a hold of people's attention so that they turn back to him. 
okay? So this is what's happening. The, the nation of Israel has gone nuts. They've lost their minds. They're in the streets. They're protesting. They're doing all this stuff. There is civil unrest within the world, within the nation. Can you relate? Yes, you can. There's great apostasy happening during this time. People are walking away from the Lord. People are blatantly walking away from the Lord. Can you relate? Yes, you can. Welcome to 2020. But the story's not over for them. And even in the midst of darkness, there's, there's this beautiful little bright spot, and it's the story of Ruth. That should be encouraging for all of us, because I don't care what's happening in the world, and it can be for right, for wrong, madness, upside down, all that good stuff, wrong is right, right is wrong, and whatever, we have the opportunity to, to live out the story of Ruth where we're at. And it's a story of faithfulness is what it is. It's a story of just complete, just faithfulness to God. And it's beautiful. So you got Ruth, you got Boaz, he's the redeemer in the story. You got Naomi, she's the mother-in-law. And then ultimately what we'll see at the end of this study is Ruth and Boaz become the great-grandparents of King David. And not only just that, but this is Jesus's family. This is Jesus's family. This is crazy. The book of Ruth, it is the only book uh, in, it's the only book, certainly in the Old Testament, that is the, the title of it is given to a Gentile individual. It's, it's, so it's one of only two books in the Old Testament named after a female. Esther would be the other one, okay? She's Jewish. Ruth is not. She's a Gentile. And she gets a book named after her. And it's a story about her. Jesus would come from this family tree. It's amazing. It's the coolest thing ever. So in the middle of like, you got... Joshua, then Judges, and then Ruth. This story just communicates, I hope, so clearly to each and every one of us. Number one, that God is in control and that he is, he's just in the business of using people that, we, that really society has long given up on, okay? Long given up on. So we're going to get right into this. Um, I have a different Bible today, uh, the New English Translation, um, because I left my other one somewhere, and it was one closest to me in the back of the room. So this is actually a good Bible. It's New English. I don't know if you've ever, it's kind of newer. Um, it's, it borderlines on, it's pretty accurate as a word-for-word -word translation, okay? So verse one, it may be a little different from yours. All right, let's, let's, let's see where we're going to be at for today. Chapter one, during the time of the judges, so there we go, That's, we understand the time frame. It just tells us right there. There was a famine in the land of Judah. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah went to live as a resident foreigner in the region of Moab, along with his wife and two sons. Now the man's name was uh, Elimelech, or Elimelech, but it's probably Elimelech. His, wife his wife's name was Naomi, and his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, okay? Uh, they were of the clan of uh, Ephrath from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the region of Moab and settled there. Sometime later, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. So she and her two sons were left alone. Both her sons married Moabite women. One was named Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And they continued to live there about 10 years. Then Naomi's two sons, Malon and Kilion, also died. So the woman was left all alone bereaved of her two children, as well as her husband. So she decided to return home from the region of Moab, accompanied by her daughters-in-law, because she was living in Moab 
because while she was living in Moab, she heard that the Lord had shown concern for his people, reversing the famine by providing an abundant crop, okay? So um, that was through verse 6. Let me pause there. Our story goes from Bethlehem, the house of bread, into Moab, okay? Bethlehem, house of bread. So this is, where, this is where Naomi and her husband and her two boys were living. They were living in a place that's named after, it's the house of bread. Yet, there's a famine in the land. Well, why is there a famine? Well, it could be a natural occurrence. It certainly could be. Or it could be a result of their sinfulness and their rebellion. Because does God do that? Of course he does. Has God done that within your life? I'm sure he has. If you're a normal person, a normal Christ follower, there are times where we go through seasons, maybe, of rebellion. And there might be a time of famine that follows along with that or comes, you know, comes right alongside of that time period, okay? It oftentimes happens within our lives to wake us up, to wake us up. And, and that's, what, that's kind of what's going on here. There's a famine in the land. They are from Bethlehem. And they're going to leave Bethlehem and they're going to go to Moab because, well, that's where the food is. So it's interesting that they leave the promised land to go into Moab, okay, to try to find food because they got to survive. So you got Elimelech. Um, this guy, my God is king is what his name means. Again, this is, I love doing Old Testament books because you get to define terms and there's so much behind each meaning. And when parents were having kids, there was a reason why they named their kids certain things. It could have been like, we hope they become this, or this is what God has given us for them, kind of almost prophetic, right? So you got Elimelech, my God is king. Well, I don't know if, if that was being lived out in Elimelech's life, okay? It certainly wasn't being lived out in the nation of Israel, because they are in rebellion against this very simple fact. God is not king. They're, Israel was established as a theocracy, ruled by God, governed by God. Great plan. Beautiful plan. I long for when that is reestablished. Okay? No democracy. Theocracy. Right? New heaven, new earth. We just went through that with Revelation. It's not a democracy. And that's going to be the best, the best thing in the world. I love living in America. I love a democracy. Now we get to vote. That's the coolest thing. We got voter stuff, registration stuff. If you don't know if you're signed up, get a piece of paper, fill it out, mail it in, make sure you can vote. We've got a big election coming up. So you're, you should vote, right? I can't wait till a new heaven and new earth where there's no more voting. There's no more voting. My goodness. No more watching TV with ads of like, well, well which one of you is lying? Wait, I, all of you are lying. That's the truth. Okay. So who's telling the truth? Like, done with all the nonsense. Done with it. Let's go back to the theocracy where we will say, Elimelech. Where that will be like our name in the new heaven and new earth, so to speak. Our God is king. And it's true today. He still is king. He still is king of kings and lord of lords. Absolutely. But that's Elimelech. So you got Elimelech, then you have Naomi. This is his wife. Her name, uh, two different things. Her name could mean my delight, which I think is a really cool name, my delight. Or it could mean pleasant. They kind of are on the same, you know, kind of on the same page there. So that's Naomi, that's Elimelech. Elimelech, uh, they get married, and then they have two boys. 
They have these two boys. Now, this is what's fascinating. The first one, Malone or Machlone, however you want to say that, his name means sick. Sick. And I, I don't think they were projecting this for his future, although if they were, they would have been accurate because he doesn't really make it that long. He doesn't live a full life. He probably, more than likely, was born and they could tell that there was something, he wasn't as healthy as all the other babies. There may have been something wrong with him. Very possible. We see that all the time. That happens. But that's their son. That's the oldest. The second one, Chilion, if that's how you say that, I don't know, but it sounds right to me, pining, pining, or wasting away. Again, interesting name. So when these children are, when they're born, you know, they decide on these names and they're like, well, this one just looks sick. So we'll call him that. And he's like, oh, thanks. Yeah, as he grows up, he's like, thanks, mom and dad. Um, that's, yeah, let's just give people more of a reason to pick on me. And then this other one is pining or he's wasting away. Maybe they were born with some, some sort of deficiencies. We don't know. We don't know. But they're allowed, I mean, they, they live for a while and they live long enough to be able to, to get married. So this is who we're, this is the family. So you have to go from Bethlehem, you got to go find bread because in the house of bread, there is no more bread. And that's because you're sinning. I'm going to say it like that. More than likely, it's due to sin. There's dryness, there's barrenness within your life. Why? Because sin. It's as simple as that. There are oftentimes within our lives, in our walk with Jesus, where you just feel like, man, it just feels so dry. Well, could it be sin? It may not be. Let me say that. Disclaimer. It may not be. That may be just a season that God is bringing you through. It just, he may just be bringing you through like somewhat of a drought kind of season. That happens. But let's never forget that, yes, it is true that you could be experiencing drought or famine within your spiritual walk with Jesus because of sin. It's a reality. It's a reality. The more we own up to these things, the better off we are. When we try to pretend like these things aren't true, it doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do anybody any good at all. When we own up to the fact that we are frail, we are weak, we are sinners. Our life is not always glorious. It's not always a garden-type paradise experience with walking with Jesus. And that's never, it's never his fault, okay? If there's a barrenness and all that stuff, usually it's something I'm doing. Usually. Now, there are, I have experienced these, experienced these times in my life, in my following of Jesus, where it's not sin. And I've gone to him, and I've begged him, and I said, Lord, if there is any sin in me, if there's anything at all, please expose me. I will own up to it. I will own it. Tell me, show me what it is. I'll repent. And, it's, and there's nothing there. And it's just a season. And it's usually a season of growth. He's bringing you through a difficult time so you come out a little bit stronger. But I will also own up to the fact that there have been droughts in my spiritual life. And it's simply because of the fact that I am in rebellion against God. It's true. It happens that way. It happens that way for all of us. These guys, this is really happening within their lives. So as the nation of Israel has lost its mind, they're like, you know what? We're going to go live in Canada, okay? We're just going to get out of this country. We'll go live in Canada where the grass is greener. Oh, well, is it? It's not always, okay? But they're getting away. So they, they move away with the intention, I believe, of never returning. 
never returning. So what happens if Ruth never shows up to Israel? What happens if Ruth doesn't move to Bethlehem? God is sovereign, and he can use these circumstances within our lives and even our own personal choices and all this stuff to, to make his plan unfold. And this is what's so incredible about this whole story. So you got these, this family. They're living there. Elimelech, he dies. He dies. We don't know how he dies. It's just one day he died. And so now it's, it's Naomi and her two sons. Well, her two sons get married, so now she's got two sons and two daughter-in-laws, and she's hoping for some grandbabies to come along. But one day, her two sons die. And for these ladies living in this culture at this point in time, life just got super complicated. Naomi was okay, okay? With her husband passing away, she was, she was okay because she had her boys and she had daughter-in-laws. But more specifically, she had her boys. She was going to be okay. But now her boys are gone. And so now it's her and her two daughter-in-laws. And she doesn't want to place herself as a burden upon these girls, Orpah and uh, Ruth. Orpah, gazelle. I don't know what that, I don't know. Did she have a long neck? I don't know. Could she jump real high? I have no idea. They probably didn't determine that at birth, as silly as that sounds. I have no clue, but maybe it speaks of a beauty, right? Kind of the beauty of gazelles. They're, I don't know if animals are beautiful or not. Um, That's kind of, I guess they are. People would say that they are. Gazelles, yeah, they look at beautiful creatures. Graceful, yeah. Maybe that's what it was. She doesn't stay in the story. She's gone, okay? She's going to take off. Ruth, friendship, beauty. Companion. She sticks around. Don't worry about that last one. Mara. That's it. That's, we already know who that is. That, that's Naomi. But she changes her name at the end of this chapter. Okay? She goes from delight to bitterness. Let's, let's read through this story. So we already know dad dies, two boys die, and Naomi has determined, listen, I can't stay in Moab I at least got to go back to, I got to go back to Bethlehem. And she had heard that the Lord has blessed Bethlehem with food, okay? So the drought seems to be over. So she's determined, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to release you girls. You go and marry somebody else, have a family. Don't worry about me. I'm going back home. Verse 7, now as she and her two daughters-in-law uh, began to leave the place where uh, she had been living to return to the land of Judah, Naomi said to her two daughter, daughters-in-law, listen to me, each of you should return to your mother's home. May the Lord show you the same kind of devotion that you have shown to your deceased husbands and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the home of a new husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept loudly. This is, a, this is a, a, a tremendous little relationship dynamic that they have going on there. Each one of these ladies is carrying sorrow. Each one of these ladies has experienced tremendous pain within their lives. And for the two daughters-in-law, I mean, it's, it's very recent. I mean, it's been 10 years since Elimelech has passed away. But now, I mean, the, the family dynamic has just totally been turned upside down. And so it's just these ladies, and Naomi's on her way home, and the girls are kind of following along with her, and she says, look, I'm releasing you. You have no obligation to me at all. 
None at all. Go back to your homes, find a, find a husband, have a family. And they kissed each other. They wept loudly. But they said to her, no, we will return with you uh, to your people. This is both of them saying that. But Naomi replied, go back home, my daughters. There is no reason for you to return to Judah with me. I am no longer capable of giving birth to sons who might become your husbands, which is just a weird thought in and of itself. It's like, well, no, nobody's asking that, Naomi. Um, nobody was asking that. They're just, they got your back. They're with you. Go back home, my daughters, for I'm too old to get married again. And even if I thought that were, there was a hope that I could get married tonight and conceive sons, surely you would not want to wait until they were old enough to marry. Surely you would not want to remain unmarried all that time. No, my daughters, you must return. You must not return with me. For my intense suffering is too much for you to bear, for the Lord is afflicting me. Okay? Or the Lord has raised his fist against me. And here's that term there, bitter. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord has, has raised up his fist against me. What she's saying there is, I lost my husband, and I've lost my two sons. I'm sorry you lost your husband, but those were my sons. I've lost my family. And she, she's directing this. She's saying, like, God's punishing me. So you don't want to follow me, because God's punishing me, right? So distance yourself away from me. Go back to your homes. Let me carry this burden all by myself, which we would think is a noble thing. That sounds noble, especially for us Americans, right? Because we are trained in this kind of mindset. You just, you carry it on your own, right? Don't bring anybody else into your mess. You need to figure this out on your own. You got to be strong. You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and just tough it out, figure it out. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I was raised. You don't put any of your problems on anybody else. And the good old red, white, and blue were like, hoorah, that's right. You know, tough it up, you know, just figure it out. But that's not true. Nor is that biblical. That's actually anti-biblical, if you read the word. The New Testament has a lot to say about this. It says, you ought to come alongside other people and bear their burdens. As Christians, we ought to come alongside other Christians and shoulder whatever load they're carrying. As Christians, we ought to be humble and share our burden with somebody else. There's no room for pride within Christianity. Remember, pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven, okay? <laughs> Let's never forget that. There's no room for it within, within the church. There's not. Now, there should be a balance, okay? Because if you're always having problems and you're always needing somebody to help you, okay, there is a part of growth that has to happen. There's a part of growth that needs to take maturity, that needs to develop within our lives. But none of us are beyond tragedy, and none of us are beyond hardship, and none of us are beyond suffering. And God has placed us in little communities. The trendy word right now is tribes, right? Like we're all in tribes. Okay, whatever. We're just together. And you're together for a reason. 
so that when you go through a difficult season, you have brothers and sisters who are there to help you get through it, to carry you through this thing. That's all the time we have for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James Grizzle teaches through the book of Ruth. Even though Ruth was written long ago, it's still incredible to see how God has worked through the lives of so many people, even thousands of years ago. What hope that should give you! God never stops working, even when you don't understand what He's doing. What a great example we can learn from! No matter where you come from or who you were in the past, you can be redeemed to bring God glory. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more verse-by-verse teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Teachings tab. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Galveston is a church of ordinary people striving to love and live just as Jesus did. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. Or if you're looking for a new church home, you're always welcome. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for worship and studying the Bible. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so feel free to just come as you are. All the information you need is at breadforthebroken.com. We'd love to connect with you too, so drop us a note in the contact form to let us know how we can be praying for you. Our website, one more time, is breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James's teaching on Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken